Hello, friends. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Kenton. This is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. Yeah. Ow. Yow. Ouch. Ooh. Ow. Ooh. Hey, sweetie. Hi. Hi. Why are you saying ouch? Oh, uh, you're not cutting your fingers, are you? No, I'm cutting nettles. You're good with a knife, I was going to say. Wait, you're cutting nettles? Yeah, chopping nettles for our greens. You know you can just... Uh, you're going to say wear gloves or something. Well, no, I was going to say that what I do is I just steam them first and then I chop them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Well, I don't have the... Uh, rapport that you do with stinging nettles. Yeah, quite a rapport. That you claim all to these have. these little red dots Shut on my up. Hand. You're Ouch. always telling me, I can just go and touch them and I can pick them and they never sting me. Yeah, you can. You can. It's magic. No, I have not had that luck. You just have to let go deeply into the spiritual oh essence of the nettledom. Well, nettles <laughs> are so yummy. Maybe we should... Maybe we should talk about them a little bit. That's a good idea. Maybe let's hit a few plants today. Well, there are so many yummy plants, and it's spring, oh. and we're eating them, oh. and I kind of almost feel like a monster. <laughs> Welcome to new life, little plants. Let me eat you. Oh, my gosh. You know, I I hate to say it. It's sometimes I kind of want to go vegetarian because I think about killing animals, but... Boy, in the spring here, when you go around and there's all these new little plants We're coming rapacious. up. I know. And they're saying, hello, sun. Hello, nights and moons and stars and new life. And then I think there's pluck. only one moon? Yeah. Well, on Earth. <laughs> what? In our solar system, there's many moons. Oh, okay, okay. They have a broader view than us. I don't know how special you are to me. You're very special. (laughs) I'm just in a mystical mood today. Okay, well, let's talk about nettle first since we're having nettle. Well, sure. I mean, if we're going to talk about plants, we should probably talk about plants that we have viewers. Viewers? Oh, (laughs) Ken. I'm being more mystical and broad. We view things with our ears. Listeners, in this case, with our podcast. Yes. Mm -hmm. All the way from right next door to us here in Wisconsin, to over in Australia. The far reaches of the earth. Yeah. (laughs) So this probably won't cover you if you're in Australia, but we've tried to hit some plants here that are what you call whole Arctic in distribution. Whole Arctic. Does that have to do with the Arctic? Well, it has to do with a big circle around the Arctic covering the northern hemisphere. So if you live in Eurasia, if you live in Northern Africa, if you live in Mexico, anywhere in North America, Russia. So everything sort of north of the equator? Pretty much, yeah. With these, a few exceptions? Yeah, some of these plants aren't way down by the equator, but most of them have a more or less holarctic distribution. Holarctic. Yeah. That's a new word for the new day. New vocabulary word. Okay, well, does nettles fit into that? It does. Oh, yay. Yeah, and this is specifically the stinging nettles. Maybe we should put the Latin down in the description of all these plants. Okay, let's try to remember that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, stinging nettles. <laughs> I guess they sting. Yeah. I, 
It's too bad we can't talk about wood nettles too, because they're my favorite. Oh, you love wood nettles. I know, but I love regular nettles too. That's and a I, native to North America, the wood nettles. Right, they're yes, delicious. Yeah, they are delicious. And but the stinging nettles is a very close second. And it's so, so yummy and delicious. Yeah, they are. I feel like when you make a broth out of them, mm. it's almost a little meaty. It's very rich and deep. Well, they're one of the most proteinaceous wild edibles out there. Whoa, mm. that's a word too. Proteinaceous? Yeah. It's meaning... like bodacious. It means really high in protein. Oh, wow. And they also have a lot of vitamins and minerals, and they are just super good for your body. So when you talk about that broth, a nettle tea or a nettle broth is really, really, really good for our system. It's giving us a lot of good nutrition, almost like a vitamin, a natural wild vitamin. Wow. Yeah, I've heard some folks say that this is one of the most nutritious plants on earth. An incredible profile of nutrients and micronutrients. And it's usually growing, well, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, holarctically. Oh, wow, yeah, well, like done. <laughs> well done. Well, uh, so obviously we can't show people here what nettles look like. So that's going to be something that people will have to go and ID. Yeah. But once you have, there's so much you can do with nettles. Oh, well, where would you start? I mean, maybe we should start, in the case of nettles, with the stingers. Yeah, okay, you talk about the stingers, oh. little hypodermic needles. Exactly. If you look, there's these long, clear spines. Now, when I say long, I mean extremely short. So you would barely even see it with your <laughs> naked eye. So I mean, long unless you got up close. For example, if you were a... An ant. An ant. But I'm thinking of looking with a macro lens or okay. microscope. Here's this beautiful, nice-looking green stem and then these dragon teeth of clear they're really wicked yeah these are i think they're made of silica and they are hollow and they have a a venom let's call it Ooh. a poison in there and this poison contains uh histamines so yes. it gives you an itch reaction and another of the constituents is formic acid which is the same <gasps> you know this formic acid in ants yes yeah, I was going to say that. So I think the, what was it, the fire ants in Hawaii mm -hmm. that we blessedly never somehow encountered. Liliana did. Oh, Let's yeah. be fair. That's Poor true. Poor little kiddo. Anyway. So that creates a very stingy sensation. So there's this cocktail of a Itching venom. and burning, stinging. Yeah. Yeah. When you brush up against it, those, the spines, the little tips break off and the juice shoots into you and you get this I guess the sensation is difficult to describe isn't it because it is a combination of itching and pain yeah I'm trying to think of other things I mean it isn't quite like a bee sting I feel like it's more like a bee sting a few days later mm. when it's still kind of sore but it also really itches yeah that's yeah. a good way to describe it yeah and this sensation for most people doesn't last that long but if you have if it's a child, you have sensitive skin. I have gotten some of the actual little hypodermic needles in my skin, like my fingers in sensitive places. Yeah. I'll still feel it and be able to see it the next day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it can be intense. 
And if you walk through a patch, let's say you just happen to be walking naked and barefoot in the woods and you walk through a patch. Right, because we do that all the time. <laughs> it can be really intense. Yeah. You know what I just learned? What? I was reading a little bit about nettles, and this was in one of Matthew Wood's books. He is a great herbalist. He's just fun to read. He was talking about how that stinging nettle has been used to help people who have had paralyzation of different parts of their body or if they have a really inactive organ in their body that the stinging nettle seems to help bring life and movement or the proper action back into those parts of the body whoa and is this the stings like how they use it for arthritis where you whip yourself yes with yes the okay so he talked about that but oh he really? said it's such a powerful plant that people even take it internally to help get your kidneys functioning again or your thyroid functioning again to just help sort of get things back alive wow so, okay so whip yourself with it for arthritis and then eat it for all kinds of other benefits yeah well and it also purportedly i have never tried this because i don't have allergies but it is supposed to help clear mucus from the mucous membranes when you're allergic when you have springtime allergies or especially in the fall when there's all the giant ragweed that we have here uh, where oh, we live yeah. if if you had been taking nettle kind of start in the spring and take nettle tea every day it's supposed to really help alleviate the symptoms of allergies okay we're hinting at some wonderful things about nettle but we've probably scared most people away with how much it bites okay should we go woo woo and talk about befriending the nettles you better talk about that it, it doesn't work a whole lot for me super great just gonna put that little disclaimer out there but you might be one of the nettle whisperers you never know i feel like there are some people who are nettle whispers and i can at least claim partial nettle whispering Nettles used to be a bane of my existence as a kid. Oh my goodness. They would just bite me all the time. But I feel like oddly you can make friends with them and pet them. That might be going a little far. <laughs> She's giving me that look, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and how to do this, I can't quite explain, except I literally spoke to them and, and said that, you know, I want to be your friends and I'm still going to eat you and <laughs> I'm still sometimes going to remove you from the side of paths where you're going to bite other people. So basically, I'm going to be the same rapacious human, but could you have mercy on me and be nice? <laughs> they kind of were after that. Well, you've told me once, especially in gathering wood nettle, which don't have as much oomph right when they first come up, you told me just to kind of gather upwards along the stem so you stroke kind of in the direction of the spines not against them and that brings up where many woo-woo things might have a more practical explanation but still one that we can overlook if we aren't subtle enough so for instance you're absolutely correct that the nettles kind of bite you in one direction but not in the other so if you're stroking upward in the plant the spines don't get you in the same way as if you stroke downward on the plant. Yeah, just think of shark's teeth. They yeah. go in one direction. So imagine that I say, I'm going to make friends with the nettles, and then I'm walking naked through the nettle patch. Barefoot too, remember? Barefoot. But I'm walking so that I'm not thrashing around. If I'm not friends with them, I might be pushing them out of the way, thrashing, 
And as I push them out of the way, I'm pushing against mm. the spines and I get bit a lot more. Or if I just walk through it smoothly, then I'm kind of moving. <laughs> I wish you could see his gestures here. <laughs> upwards on the spines. So that is a possible explanation for how your attitude and befriending it could create a woo-woo-like effect that could be explained by a different action, a different movement on your part. Well, I think getting to know plants, wild plants, or any plant, is all about developing a special relationship with it. And that is one thing that's really fun because you cultivate it your whole life. So there's all different properties that plants have. We can use them for medicine, we can use them for food, we can use them for cleaning and for bushcraft and all different kinds of things. And that's something we get to continue to experience and learn. For example, nettles, their stalks when they're dried in the wintertime, the nettle fibers are awesome for cordage. Yeah, yeah, great point. We can squish them up and they make a great tinder because they have all those fibers and some woodier parts. So that's a good thing to remember. Not just that we can get to know a plant more and more over our lifetime just out in nature, but science is coming up with more and more Well, they're taking better looks at some of these plants and finding, wow, here's some of these bioactive constituents that have powerful effects on our health. Yeah, well, the point is to just go out and get to know a plant or two or three over a season and start to use it. Now, I don't usually make a nettle tincture. We have a couple other plants we'll talk about that I make tinctures with, but I like to dry the leaf and make nettle tea. I love nettle tea. We love to just eat the fresh greens steamed put them in quiches and pizzas and all all different dishes. We also like to blanch them and freeze them so we have them for the winter, especially to add to soups like you were talking about before. Yeah, I kind of think of it as a wild spinach as far as its flavor and texture. It's Although it definitely has a richer flavor than spinach. So it's maybe not a great comparison, but I use it in the same Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, since we're speaking about health benefits, maybe we should hit heal all. Oh, heal all. That is a good one. <laughs> this one's also called all heal. And again, we'll put the... Wow, that'll be hard to remember. Heal all, all heal. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put the Latin down in the description. This is in the mint family. And this was a special one for me when I was a kid mm. because I read heal all and I thought, this plant must be the panacea, the most amazing healing plant in the universe. Yeah, flashing neon signs right there. Yeah. And then I looked it up in some herbal book and it basically said, yeah, it's kind of an innocuous little mint plant. It doesn't have much flavor and doesn't seem to do much good for people. So who knows why it was called Hila. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's true, I know, but... Now what? Now, as the research comes out, this thing is deserving of its name. I thought you were going to say this thing is dessert. (laughs) (laughs) It can be breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. This is a plant that you can eat tons of. And at the same time, it has some incredibly powerful effects, health effects for us. This... uh, Wow, where to begin? I don't know. All I know is that I really like tincturing this. 
and I really like turning it into a tea, especially if you mix it with anise hyssop leaves. It's really yummy, but it's really good just on its own. It's such a pleasant little plant, and you can eat the flowers and the leaves. Um, just a beautiful purple, little purple flowers. and Yeah, with that really interesting flower head that's unmistakable once you, once you learn it. But I feel like when you eat the fresh leaf, mm. it has a very different flavor than the tea. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the leaf is almost, I'm not going to say flavorless, but very mild. But the tea has yeah. this great flavor. It really does. It's so neat and so interesting. And for a tincture, we just pick the leaves and the flowers and put it in a nice dark glass jar about halfway, three quarters of the way full, and then fill it up with, we use nice organic local vodka, and just fill it up about an inch above the plants. You wanna shake it every once in a while, obviously label it, where you got it, what alcohol you use, the date, any things that you think will be important, because you're gonna sit that little jar into the nice darkness so it can get all those awesome properties into the alcohol. And that, I usually do that for about eight weeks. Checking on it once in a while, shaking it, de definitely making sure that there's still enough alcohol to cover the leaves because you don't want the leaves sticking out the top. That's mm. a no-no. And then after that, you're just going to strain away the leaves and put the tincture into, I usually use a dropper bottle, so a dark glass bottle that has like a nice dropper top so I can easily get out however many drops I want of the tincture. If there's stuff sticking out the top, because sometimes, first of all, I'm glad you gave instructions on how to do it. Oh yeah, I kind of just went off on a tangent, but when yeah. you say tincture, it's like, what do you mean? Yeah, and we should maybe specify that technically that's called an alcohol extraction. The alcohol actually pulls different of the chemicals out of the plant yes. and makes them more bioavailable to us. Now, when we have that, and sometimes there's going to be some pieces that are floating, mm -hmm. and can we put a rock on there or something to weigh that down? You could certainly weigh it down if you want to. Not yeah. metal, because no, metals... you don't want metal to be interacting with reactive it. sometimes yeah. with yeah, very good some point. of these chemicals. Okay. Yeah, I guess it's there's. I'm glad you brought that up because after a while you do it so many times you don't even think about the things that you aren't supposed to do because you just don't do those anymore. Yeah. But yeah, and I'm sure there are great tutorials out there. There's books that will show you. Um, but otherwise, it's just kind of fun to have fun. Some people I know use a plastic bag filled with water to weigh it down. Mm -hmm. Various of these tinctures and things. That That's not my favorite thing to do because of the plastic right in there. But if you're not concerned about the plastics in the same way, as I am, then that would be another thing you could probably do. Yeah, well, and not all not all tinctures have to be weighted down either. It depends. So that's just something you have to pay attention to from plant to plant. Heal All, this plant has some really kind of, I'm going to say, odd properties that aren't necessarily found in a lot of other plants. Well, can we just say that the tides have turned and Heal All is an apt name for it now? Yeah, it affects so many areas in our body. Science has started studying it and finding, oh, wait. Yeah, it's okay. So for instance, when we consume it, it helps our cells to be resistant to damage from UVA and UVB radiation from the sun. So most of us by now know that sun is really important for our health. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those, mental well-being. And mental well-being, yes. And all that medical advice to slather on all these 
other stuff onto our skin and never get a bit of sun maybe wasn't the best medical advice kind of like saying no fat and let's eat lots of sugar back well anyway that's a tangent but well, so we do have to be respectful of the sun yeah so there are intelligent ways to go about getting sun overexposure and burning that's not, so not a good idea right <laughs> and so this can help because when you consume this especially a fair amount of it it is going to give your cells some ability to resist that damage so you can be getting all the benefits of the sun but they're resisting the damage that that radiation can can cause to ourselves so would you say that if you got sunburned to go in and make yourself a big glass of heal all tea would actually help you i would say always make yourself a big glass of heal all because <laughs> it'll tea. help with everything <laughs> well yeah and here's probably the main reason because heal all has a property that usually we only find in mushrooms. Ooh. So you have mushrooms like chaga, for instance. Mm -hmm. And chaga is renowned for being an immunomodulator. Wow. And so what that means is that when our, okay, some things kind of turn our immune system on or depress it. So we would use these drugs to, let's say, you have an overactive immune system because you have MS. Okay. And so there's going to be drugs that depress the immune system. And this immunomodulator means that what it's going to do is it's going to, it's kind of like a, a smart. <laughs> a smartphone, were you going to say? <laughs> kind of like, except smartphones aren't smart. The thing is some technology here that is smart. It's kind of, okay, I have to admit, the camera on our smartphone is pretty smart. It reads the environment and it makes all kinds of adjustments. Okay according to the environment and usually gives us some pretty great video footage where with the old camera we had to make all kinds of adjustments. So an immunomodulator is sort of like a smart camera. When you intake it into your body, it's going to feel out what you need essentially and it's going to depress or enhance different parts of your immune system in order to create optimal health. That totally blows my mind. How can it know how to do that? Well, if you get down into the science, it's not as weird as it sounds. I mean, it makes it sound like it has a mind, which granted to go woo, I kind of feel like maybe that there's some truth to that. But at any rate, without being too woo, there's a point in our immune system reaction when it creates inflammation. Mm. So the immunomodulators kind of help the immune system to function well, but they also cut down on the inflammation. Mm. So basically what they do is they enhance the immune system without letting it get out of control. Okay. And that's their quote magic or their smartness. So that Helol is a plant that has an ability to do this. And if you consume it, you're going to get that benefit. Now, did you tell me that they've been studying Helol with regards to Ebola virus? Yeah, so that was an older study and it has some antiviral properties. And they're finding that, at least in vitro, so in the tests in the lab. They like a little Petri dish kind of right, thing? Right, they weren't okay. testing this in humans yet. So that's a big step, you know, to yeah. go from the Petri dish to the human. But it was attacking and basically shutting down this virus, the Ebola virus, which they were having trouble at the time finding any drugs that could do this. But that HeLa seemed to hit it. Wow. Okay, so I am interested in the Mediterranean 
lifestyle of diet and living. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I read about a lot are a lot of those places, especially you take Greece and other other places along the Mediterranean that are similar. They drink every day wild herbal tea as wild rosemary and wild oregano and wild thyme and this would be something that we could do that's very similar to that is go out pick a bunch of hilal and make ourselves a glass of hilal tea every day and drinking a little bit every day sounds like it's going to have fabulous benefits does it have any negatives hilal really doesn't so it's it's a plant that when we'd have the forest monks out that i'd say this is a plant that you can pretty much consume to your heart's content now that being said Blueberries being an example, spinach, super helpful things mm. that you can eat tons of, but you can overeat anything. Yeah, although I guess looking at the heel all, it's not a ginormous plant that you're going to get massive quantities of. You're not. And so you can pretty safely say that all the heel all that you can gather, you are welcome to make tea or to eat it. And it is benign enough that you're only going to get benefits. Wow, let's talk about another plant. This is so much fun. I know, this is fun. Okay, what would you like? Dandelion. Dandelion. dandelions are coming up, and you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of one of the very first things we ever did together. I think before we were even together. Oh, maybe we were. It was like 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I never even knew that you could make this. But I met Kenson, and we've been friends for a while. He said, it's spring. Do you want to help me pick oodles of dandelion flowers and we can make dandelion wine <laughs> i remember I thought, that oh my gosh i never knew we could make dandelion wine <laughs> so i have memories of picking and picking and picking dandelion flower tops turning the them into wine beautiful color of that wine was oh incredible well dandelions are kind of amazing because they're everywhere they're everywhere and before we go any deeper into dandelions i have to say that these are Wow, I am feeling mystical today. <laughs> These are a key to going into, how would I say this, to seeing one of the things that is right in front of us. There's a lot of things in life like this mm. that are always there, but we just don't see them. And dandelions are a common weed. We mm -hmm. overlook them. But I want to submit that if you sit down and you really look with the eyes of a child, at a dandelion flower, you are going to witness one of the most beautiful, stunning flowers in nature. They really are spectacular, and kids really do love them. Oh they my get God. so excited. Painting? Yeah. They paint their mm -hmm. cheeks yellow. or their noses yellow. Oh, it's so, so <laughs> sweet. But dandelion is amazing because you can eat every part of the plant, although I guess, you know, we've got that latexy stuff in the stem. Yeah. That's kind of pretty bitter right so this is considered a bitter and like many bitters it has some really positive effects on our liver because yeah of well that. people use it i mean it comes up in the spring it's a perfect spring tonic and the science tells us very clearly we heard this on what was the podcast it's kind of a kid science podcast oh um all I can think of is, wait, wait, don't tell me, but that is no. not it. It's, um, oh, come it, on. Let's see if it comes back to you okay. as I go on. Yeah. That we can literally, quote, change our taste buds. I said literally, quote. <laughs> what I mean is not change our taste buds from taste buds into, say, miniature <laughs> elephants or whatever, <laughs> sea an enemy. But change our taste buds in the sense of what they experience. So in regards to bitter, 
that flavor is really icky for a lot of us. But if you eat bitter flavors, I know what what wow in the world wow in the world it's yes so fun. And what did they do this experiment on? What was the common plant that a lot of people don't like? And they had kids and people eat this kale. 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 Was it kale? I think it was kale. Yeah, bitter flavored kale. Yes. And they found that the way that the the taste buds register bitter changes. And I think it's over just a week or two weeks. Yeah, it was. It was a short period of time. So no, they did that with, also with a hot chocolate that they oh, increased yes. the, the cocoa powder right. and decreased the sugar. Yes. So they actually didn't do it with the kale. They did it with that. But in the episode, they were saying uh, you could easily do that correct. with changing greens. So it was I mean, with changing your taste buds yeah. to like bitter greens. <laughs> so it was with the cocoa powder, which can be extremely bitter when not sweetened. So that was showing that if we eat these bitter things, we're going to develop an ability to appreciate them. And I, I'll say, if you eat dandelion for a while, you can take that whole stem, <laughs> which will, I'm not going to say make you throw up, but would really create a negative sensation of bitterness in the beginning of the summer. If you eat it for a couple of weeks, you can actually enjoy that bitter flavor. Now, this might sound like a really silly question, but we say that that white latexy stuff, we, we reference it as latex, but is it actually latex? Like if I have a latex allergy, do I have to avoid dandelions? Uh, <laughs> I do not believe so. So that term latex is something that is applied to basically that white that creamy stuff that, that comes too. out of different plants. Yeah. Oh, milkweed. Okay, but we won't talk about that right now. <laughs> and the latex allergy is to, a, I believe, a specific latex. Well, you better not quote me medically on that. <laughs> well, right. We won't quote you medically at all here. Wait a second. I just said it, so I'm quoted. Okay. Wait, well, unquote. it's off the record. Uh, this off is the record. informal. I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kent and Rebecca told me it would be just fine. Okay. Well, I, what I want to say is that we discovered something last year. So we dandelion wine is a fun thing to make, but we decided to tincture the dandelion flower petals. Was this an excuse to drink more of that local organic vodka? <laughs> we put it into the vodka. We put it into the vodka. The girls were so helpful because we had to pick all the flower heads, but we really had to take all the green off. So we spent a long time trying to get the green off so there wouldn't be a lot of bitter and just get the flower petals. The result was amazing. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful and very tasty and very healthful tincture because they've been showing that the flowers, the flower head, which doesn't have any of the bitter principles. In fact, it is quite sweet but you have to make sure you don't get any of the green on there. It'll get bitter. Has a lot more of the goodness stuff than, for instance, the leaf and the root. Now, different things. So mm -hmm. it's good to eat the whole plant. But as far as the polyphenol, some of the constituents that are basically just giving us, boom, a health pow, that flower head, it ranks really high up there in content. So what are some of the health things that this flower flower powders or even just dandelion itself can cover. I mean, are we talking to me about cancer? Yeah. So they're looking at it as an, well, as having some ability to, when cancer cells replicate, mm -hmm. they 
you know, they kind of have to do their thing. And if we can have... <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Try not to be too technical here. do your thing. <laughs> so we can have chemicals that block that, their ability to replicate, essentially. Okay. And that's in the dandelion and flower so the petals? dandelions have, through a couple of different routes, they actually affect uh, cancer cells. And they... Okay, so when a cancer grows, it also has to grow blood vessels in order to start spreading. Mm -hmm. Okay, so cancer really gets aggressive when it starts creating blood vessels. And the dandelion... Wait, blood vessels or blood cells? Blood vessels. Oh, So yeah, so wow. little blood vessels through it that start to make it into Whoa, more of a little... that creepy. Yeah, cancer's... Yeah. So anyway, the dandelion basically inhibit the ability of the body to create those uh, okay so it's sort of stopping in the cancer yeah the cancer from being able to get out and do its thing yeah so it it hits at a number of levels and it just has a lot of you know when we talk about the colorful fruits so we have blueberry acai am i saying that right mm -hmm, yeah a lot of these superfoods that have these really strong flavonoids so the colors inside of the fruit of the flower in this case of the berry they have really good health benefits that often act as antioxidants so essentially a spring tonic i mean the thing that i like to do is just pick a few little greens here and there and toss them into our horta that we have the steamed wild greens or put them a little bit in a salad but the flower petals if you pluck those off and sprinkle them over a salad or actually anything that you're about to eat mm -hmm. so pretty but one of the things i think is most fun about dandelion i'm gonna get off the flower here for a second the root you know you it, dig up the root oh. and you give it a scrub and you toast it you chop it and toast it in a pan it's like it's kind of like candy you know, people always talk about it as a coffee substitute, but I think it should be this candy, this dandelion root candy. Because, yes, you can chop it up and then put it into a pan and get it toasted to your make a tea. Oh, level of I toastiness. I love dandelion root tea, especially when I was pregnant with Liliana. Yeah, That's all did. I wanted to drink. Anyway. <laughs> and it is really good. But if you chop it into these bits, I don't know about how big. I'm making a thing with my fingers here that nobody can see. <laughs> so, how, like the size of a pea or a little bit smaller? A little bit smaller than pea size? Like yeah, half a pea Yeah, but it won't size? be round, of course. It'll right. be root-shaped. <laughs> and then roast it up. And you don't want to super over-roast it for this candy, but you have to get it to a certain amount of roast where when it cools down... It gets crunchy. Yeah, like this weird crunchiness where you bite it and it instantly breaks yeah, up yeah it's dissolves. really a neat texture and that was always a problem when i was drinking the tea as mirabel always wanted to eat the dandelion but uh, before i could make it into a tea kids love uh, yeah. it it is super good oh my gosh anyway dandelion has so many possibilities and it's just a fun plant overall dandelion crunch let's dandelion call it that. Crunch. let's market it as a cereal dandelion crunch <laughs> You could eat it as a cereal. Okay, okay. We could go on forever about plants, but let's just do one more. Okay. Okay. This is our neighbor's, one of our neighbor's favorite. Yes. Garlic mustard. Garlic The evil mustard. scourge upon the forests. <laughs> yeah. And this is a, well, again, it's whole arctic in distribution. <laughs> and it grows. And tenacious. All over. And yes, when it comes, especially in North America here, into our environment, which is not 
prepared for it evolutionarily, it can hit hard. So we term it invasive, meaning it can really take over. Well, you were telling me something interesting about the compounds it has to in the roots, weren't you? Yeah. That basically, how explain it? I'm not going to do a very good job. Okay. It engages in a process or a practice, I'm going to call it, called alleopathy. And alleopathy is the practice, if we can call it that, like what all these said. plants, yeah, yeah, are saying, hey, what should we do with our day here? I know what we'll do. We will inject chemicals into the soil that kill everything else so that we can grow. There's a lot of plants that do this. Yeah, like pine trees, right? Yeah, it's, it's very effective. And these guys, what they do is they release a chemical called synegrin, and they release this chemical into the ground, and it attacks the mycelium. Whoa. So if you don't know what that is, there's... All these little threads or tendrils that go throughout the soil. I wanted soil. to tease everybody. If you don't know what that is, too bad. We're not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, mycelium, the whole network, the wood wide web, that's fascinating. Oh, so keep going, yeah. keep going. The forest covered, just webbed, literally, with these mycelium. So these are fungal networks, little tubes that fungi use to send nutrients, not just back and forth in their selves, but also two different plants. So there's a lot of plants that depend on these fungi and they have a mutual relationship, symbiotic relationship. Beneficial? Yes. Because you can have a mutually bad relationship too. Yes, this is symbiotic. So it means it's good for both parties where there's basically an exchange of nutrients going on. And it's very important for both the fungi and for the plants. So you can imagine if that mycelial network is degraded, it has a, a cascading effect of affecting plants and trees, the trees to some extent. Too, yeah. yeah. Well, so what does that mean? Just supposed to rip every garlic mustard plant you see out of the ground? It means that garlic mustard is so successful that even most foragers I know who love to eat it <laughs> say, if you see garlic mustard, pull it up. And... Better yet, harvest it and then pull it up by the roots. You will not destroy it. It will come back. You're just keeping it in check. It's like the zombie apocalypse. It's like the zombie apocalypse. You, the taste your, here. Your chances of stopping it are not very good. Now, didn't you tell me some interesting fact, though? Because we were having a conversation about this. And you said that after, what, what 20 or 30 years or something like that, that... The stuff, what is it, synegrin or whatever? Yes. They don't make it anymore or yes. it shuts down or yep. something? So there was a study that came out showing they've been watching this for a while, that the production decreases and eventually stops almost completely. And that is the end of that destruction of the mycelial network, at which point it can move back in. Depending on how wide the distribution of garlic mustard has become in a given forest, you know, it's still going to take more or less time for that to come back, but it eventually will heal itself. But it's going to be decades and decades once that garlic mustard gets a foothold. So we should eat it. We should eat it. These, quote, invasive plants, the best thing we can do is eat them aggressively. Go ahead and pull them up. Again, you won't stop them. If you happen to stop them at one park or one area, 
you will find them go to another right down the road <laughs> and they will be back in that park distributed by their seeds very soon this is in the mustard family it has tiny little seeds that are distributed all over the place but it's very yummy especially the tender leaves that come on the stalk in the springtime i feel for me personally that i think most people would feel the leaves that are on the beginning part of the plant right in the early spring are fairly bitter but if you don't mind that i mean i don't mind it but i i don't recommend it to a lot of people because i want people to like the plant so i say get the tender leaves that are coming up I don't, you know the flower heads i'm not as big of a fan mm -hmm. of but I think, you know, there's so much garlic mustard that can harvest it and make garlic mustard pesto mm, from it. Yeah. I like to put it in our horta and our greens too. And it's actually when the leaves are tender, you can still harvest them later when they're bigger. But when they're tender, they're just yummy in a salad because they actually have a mild garlic flavor. But unlike garlic, it doesn't stay on you. Yeah. And I would say, I feel like it depends a little bit on the soil type and stuff. Sometimes I eat it and it's pretty strong but never strong like a clove of garlic or anything like that yeah. and other times it's really mild and to me more tasty but it's a really good flavor yeah, overall it'd be really good in soups and things but weren't you just saying that there's more to it than that that actually has some health benefits too because i mean all these other plants we've talked about are like super heavy hitters yeah this is just a green we're going to eat? Like, does it have some other property? Yeah, you know, the mustards in general have a suite of compounds that are just overall very healthy for us. But one of the things that garlic mustard stars in is vitamin C content. Really? Yeah. Vitamin C and garlic mustard? Yeah. That's so, does not make me think. Garlic mustard and vitamin C, they do not equate in my head. <laughs> yeah. So what are we talking about you here? Know, we often talk about, oh, pine trees having a... Yeah, white, and, white pine especially. Yeah. Super, super. And But the key there is with, with white pines, if we're ingesting a lot of it, there's also a lot of resins in there mm -hmm. and a lot of pretty strong bio bioactive compounds where we don't want to, let's say, eat half of a pine tree. <laughs> <laughs> I started the visual image. <laughs> that is hilarious. You might get indigestion. <laughs> you might get locked away. <laughs> you <just laughs> <kill> somebody. <laughs> okay. But the garlic mustard has many times the you know, mass to mass amount of vitamin C than say oranges, which are the standard by everybody by which everybody measures. So you're going to get a Were really. Are you talking like twice as much or? Oh, I want to say three or. four maybe three or maybe even four. I can't remember the exact wow. numbers, but it is really potent in vitamin C. So it's something that if you are a healthy individual, you can eat it pretty much to abandon as much as the flavor affects you. I, I say a healthy individual because it can inhibit, uh, I believe it's iodine. Iodine. I get confused. The iodine is what we eat and then it creates iodine inside our, of our yeah. body. I'm not actually completely sure on the science behind that, but iodine, I'm going to say. And that's really important for thyroid functioning. So if you have thyroid issues, then you might want to be more moderate in your consumption. Wow. This has been so, so neat. This is going to be one of our longest ever. Wow. Okay. Well, then it's time for you to unleash your life. We got to speed this up here. Okay. okay. Let's talk about how we can harvest these things. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with nettles. 
Okay, nettles. This can, is this an action point or? This is our action point. Okay, okay. Go harvest nettles. <laughs> action point number one. Go harvest nettles. You will go out and harvest nettles. And here's how you find them. You're going to look in, well, it really kind of likes, I'm going to say, borders. Well, and it really likes rich soil because it is working on protein in the soil. So it likes outhouses and the edge of cow pastures and mm. anything that's super, super rich like that. You're really going to find it in a lot of times in wet, more moistish places. Yeah. For sure, swampy. I don't find it in the deep woods. No. Right? Unless there's been an opening in the canopy or something. But go check farmer's fields if you have permission. Go check... Compost piles. Combo. Yeah. And when you're doing this, especially these disturbed ground type of critters, then you want to make sure that the fields surrounding are not conventional agriculture or if you're doing roadsides you just have to be really careful because you have to think of especially if you have winter and people treat their roads with salt or other things like that you maybe don't want to harvest right next to a roadside yeah i think samuel thayer also said that if you do research on the road ah i wish i could remember oh, they the used days. they used some there way was back in the lead day there was lead in, in the, the what they pavement? use for, yeah yeah so again roadsides even though that's where they like to live like make sure you get way get off away from the road and don't go into runoff places and things like that where you're going to have plants that have absorbed some of maybe the negative chemicals that have been going their way if you can find an organic farmer in your area you've struck gold because then they will probably be very happy to have you go and harvest these quote weeds from their fields and you get all the benefits. So nettles, but you gotta remember, they're gonna bite you. Yeah, so I use gloves. You can do the nettle whispering if you want to, but that's not what I do. <laughs> Just reaching <laughs> upward, kind of stroking upward. Well, let's talk about what we harvest though. Well, and you and I are a little different yeah. than that. So I just take the very tippy top of the leaves. Like the first two or four leaves. Yeah. And you go down a little bit. I go a little bit further. further, but it depends on the height of the plant. Yeah. So if it's just come out of the ground and it's got, you know, let's say it's maybe four inches high or six inches high, I'll take further down because I feel like it's still tender. The thing with that is that you do want to make sure, I usually do this after I steam the greens, I like to cut up the stems a little bit so that you're not having a big bite and there's a super long stem that you have to eat. But you can still eat the stem parts of that too. And then as the nettles get bigger, then I take, you know, closer to just the top leaves. I guess we should talk about another technical term here. Okay. Meristem. Oh, meristem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the meristem is the area of a plant that is actively growing. In other words, the cells are actively creating are yeah they're reproducing right there so you've got that cell division going on and that cell division is very soft it has to be soft so it can grow and that is the part of a plant that we typically like to eat if you imagine asparagus it's tender and yeah. sweet and juicy i'm coming back Yum. to the monster i know side of me. it's horrible Terrible. it's like we're dragons <laughs> and the going give me the sweet juicy reproducing parts <laughs> So that tender part is on an asparagus where you would snap it and it still snaps neatly. Well, and that's kind of what I do with the nettle, too. Yes. I take it where it can snap. If it, I try to bend it and it's bendy, then it's going to be too fibrous. Just the same as asparagus. That's a really good analogy. And I also want to say that if you're going to be doing tea, then I feel like I at least personally, and I don't know what the science says, but I at least personally would still harvest 
as it grows taller and just strip the leaves and and dehydrate those and turn those into tea. So you're saying basically any leaf on the plant once it's bigger if you're going to be using it for tea. I, I mean I it. would. Yeah. I don't think I mean maybe there's so some plants in the springtime or the fall like if you're going to gather roots you know like the fall is the best time because they're putting energy back into it or really early spring and it's probably that way with leaves too but in for the purposes of getting a lot of nettle leaf to have tea I would definitely not be picky. You're a little bit more indiscriminate. Yeah. When... If I'm going to be, if we're going to blanch it, yeah, and put it in our soups and things, then I want the tender, yummy stuff. So. And I think to rehash, if I'm understanding what you're saying, there's we don't know the science behind it, right. but we're suspecting that young leaves may be laying down a different level Could or be, yeah. different constituents of minerals and proteins than older leaves. Could, where... could be. Okay. I, I mean, a lot of plants do. I, I don't know that technically so. i'm just like drinking metal tea so i want a lot of it <laughs> well okay we're... well action point number two yeah or do we have any more to cover with that's metal? it okay action point number two is heal all oh yeah gather heal all go find some so well, let's talk about mint how do you know what a mint family uh, is? so the mint family i'm gonna say at first that it's really easy to identify and then i'm going to qualify that the mint family has square stems whoa that's weird Instead of their stems being round, they're square. Sometimes you can't see it visually, but if you take the stem and you roll it in your fingers, mm -hmm. you're going to feel the smoothness of round versus the clump, 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 clump of mm -hmm. a square stem. And then opposite leaves. So what that means is that when the petioles come out of the stem and the leaves are present, they're going to come out right opposite each other very symmetrical yes very symmetrical so like wings look, on a bird yeah so you're going to look down the plant's going to look very symmetrical essentially and you look from the side you're going to see that same right. pattern two this way then two the other way then two like, this like the way, legs of a caterpillar oh cute yeah and there's also the verveins at least i'm sure there's other plants in the world but here in the united States, in the north america we've got the verveins we've got a blue vervain a white vervain a hoary vervain these verveins also are square stemmed but they're and, not mint <laughs> no and opposite leaved and they look a little minty too none of them are poisonous or anything but some of them you're going to take a bite of it and blah, you're it's yeah, the heel all, if you just nibble the littlest bit of the leaf, it's going to be like I'm eating a green leaf, basically. It doesn't Very mild. taste delicious. It doesn't taste bad. Yeah. Yeah, they're usually lower to the ground, though they can get taller, but they're usually small plants. I think of them usually as kind of a six to eight inch plant, although, granted, we have seen them taller. Than they that, do but... get taller, and their flower stalks can often get taller, too. But how long would you say... I guess we're talking in inches, but we should be talking in, in uh, centimeters here, too. Yeah. Pfft. Metric. Oh, jeez. Why don't we just move to metric? I know. Okay. Anyway, if you just think that, okay, I'm going to put my hand down. Mm -hmm. And from the tip of my fingers up to my wrist, that's going to be the typical size. In general. I mean, yeah. smaller in woods and larger at the edges of fields. And you can find them in the forest, especially not, oh, again, I would not say deep forest. Like you're not going to find them deep in a pine forest. But if there's light coming in, they will grow in, yeah. in the forest more. And I feel like they enjoy ground that is trampled a little bit, disturbed, compressed. So in the woods up north where we ran Rewild U, you'd find tons of it in the trail. If you yeah. just go off the path a little bit, 
you know, you're going to find a plant here and there, but not as just promiscuously as it's growing along the path. That's the same in our woods down here. Sometimes you're going to find them in lawns. In yeah, we had them up at fields. Up yeah. at Mewild U's campus, there were all sorts of heal. I just go on the lawn and pick it. Yeah, it could it grew right there in conjunction with the grass. Yeah. And we usually gather the leaves and the flower heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once you get to know this plant with all these, you know, look up the Latin, get a good ID book or yeah. look them up online. And once you get confident with it, you'll always recognize heal all. And, and we found isolated plants, but in general, this grows in fair abundance wherever it grows. Yeah, it has a lot of plants and not just a solitary plant. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about harvesting before we go to our next action point. And to say that it's really important to remember to not only pay attention to where you're harvesting. We talked about, okay, is it an organic farmer's field? Is it by the road? Is, was there a runoff? But it's also real, really important not to over harvest. Make sure that you can never take more than a certain area can replenish for itself. Yeah, luckily with these four plants that we've chosen today, they are pretty aggressive. If you wanted to knock them back, you would probably have to just get in there, uproot every plant you see, apply you chemicals. You a team of people, like with the yeah. garlic mustard. Yeah, so with these guys, eh, it's really hard to over-harvest them. The heal all, I would say, would be the the most delicate of it's these kind four of bring it robust up here. ones. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you see a patch, I would say, don't just take down the entire thing. Yeah, and, and heal all, unlike some of these others too, doesn't really outcompete other plants mm -hmm. usually. So it's one of those where uh, we prefer to harvest a leaf here, a leaf from mm -hmm. that plant, a leaf from that plant. They usually grow close enough together that you can gather a lot that way and you're not harming the plants. Yeah. Okay, action point number three, dandelion. Dandelion. Oh, dandelion fritters. I forgot to mention oh, dandelion, dandelion fritters. fritters. With the flower tops, yeah. So a lot of people cut off those flower tops, little egg, mm -hmm. little whatever your batter is. Some people use a pancake batter or a panko or a, what's the really nice Japanese, uh, come on, we used to work at a Japanese restaurant. The really nice big batter that's super crunchy. Oh, tempura. Tempura. Yeah. Yeah. Batter those up, dip them in a the sauce. Yum. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I just had to bring that up. But I... then anything deep fried. <laughs> Do you know in medieval times, there was a demon of deep fried food? Oh, you're right. Yeah. Because they recognized even way back then how <laughs> completely addictive and yummy it is. It had to be ruled oh, by a demon. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I want to say about the dandelions that they are most prolific with their flowers in the springtime. So as soon as you start to notice them, don't wait because your window will close. And yes, there are dandelion flowers throughout the year, but just not in the same abundance as in the springtime. So if you're after the flower, I feel like spring is your way to go. And also with the greens, if you really want to enjoy them while they're the least bitter and you want to kind of work your way to getting your taste buds to like bitter more, start with the little leaves that are more bright green and especially the ones that are kind of upright. That means they've just grown. They're going to be more tender, a little bit less bitter. Mm. If you find a dandelion out in the middle of the field and it's got all these big, long leaves, flat to the ground, <laughs> dark green, they're going to be more tough and bitter. And <laughs> You know, the amazing forager Samuel Thayer 
has, he talks about the center of, okay, how would I describe this? When the leaves have their initial rosette, mm-hmm. and before the flower stalk comes up, there's a little kind of flower stalk baby in the yeah, center. Yeah, yeah, like a little button kind yeah, of. Yeah, uh-huh. and he cuts those out in a little tornado shape and talks about that as a great vegetable. Yum. We've only tried it, I think, once, and we just, uh, we're at the wrong time. So that, we don't have experience We with have that. to try that this spring. And I the think... roots, too, it's nice to get the larger dandelions for that, because, of course, then the root will be bigger. Okay, action point number four, garlic mustard. Garlic mustard. All right, this is going to grow, boy, <laughs> if you go to your local State Park, National Park, County Forest, kind of any place where people are trying to have a nice forest for people, you're probably (laughs) going to find garlic mustard growing. It does tend to grow there more, though. I wonder why. I think it's attracted to places where people are fighting it really hard. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting woo-woo again. I know. I know. Usually here in, at least in Wisconsin, you're going to have these little foot scraper offers for your boots at the head of trails in state forests where they are concerned that the garlic mustard which again has those tiny little seeds have gotten caught in your shoe in the mud in your shoe and you're going to walk out and you're going to plant those seeds so it could be just from all the people walking if they're correct i mean that could be i sometimes i wonder about those brushy things for your shoes like is that just putting them back on because if the last person had a bunch and then i clean my shoes before I guess just go barefoot and naked and then you'll be safe. Exactly. I guess except for you can't do that in the state park or something like that, but in your state forest. Yeah, they might frown on that. Yeah, oh my goodness. So Well, anyway, yeah, garlic mustard, it's kind of the same thing. Just make sure it's in a patch that isn't, hasn't been sprayed, especially if you are at one of these locations where they're trying to make things look pretty. If it's not in a place that you're 100% sure it's safe, I feel like you have to talk to the park people because... Parks everywhere are actively spraying this, trying to beat it back. And if you go and you eat it right after it's been sprayed, eh, not so hot. But you can find this even in places that aren't just uh, populated. I mean, you might have a neighbor who's got some woodland and you can see it growing in there. I feel like it really does like a specific climate too. Again, I don't feel like you're going to find this in the deep woods. It's going to be more where there's light, where there's been disturbance. Although, I remember back up at Bubbling Springs, we would find it way back in the sugar bush. And still, you know, there's places where yeah, people walk. that's true. But it I was surprised. Like it's in the vernal woods, though. You know, any yeah, place where you're going to find some of the ephemeral, spring ephemerals, it's maybe going to want to grow. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a good one to also ID. I don't know, are there any lookalikes that people need to be careful of with that? No, no. Obviously, if you just take a leaf, if you think it's garlic mustard, take a leaf, crush it, and smell it. And if it smells garlicky, it's probably it. Yeah. So four really amazing plants that have amazing sets of properties are very helpful that you can harvest pretty much with fervor wild abandon (laughs) yeah wild abandon yeah well write to us and tell us the wild plants that you love and what you're harvesting and just some of the the wild friends that you have out there in plant form because we would love to learn more and we would love to just share so fun yeah and really encourage you to go out if you don't know these plants Go out and eat them. They are super helpful and yummy. <laughs> you feeling a little sore? Sore? Yeah, your joints kind of creaky and old. 
No, I don't feel creepy. That'd be really fun to whip each other with nettles. Oh, no. I do not think we're going to do that. No, kind of relive childhood. No, I never did that in childhood. You didn't? No. <laughs> you whip each other with nettles? No, I was a sensible child. Did you have siblings? Yes, I had siblings. We did not whip each other. You pick a nettle, nettle and you try to whip each oh other with nettles. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling sorry for your brother right now. <laughs> I will go whip you with nettles. How's that sound? Uh... <laughs> How about we go eat the nettles that you've been Hey, about? good idea. Okay. Oh, love to you all. We're so grateful to all of you. Oh, uh, love to you all.